After his panel discussion on defining reasonable limits and restrictions on immigration at the Better Discourse Conference in Milwaukee, we caught up with Michael L.S.P. Gonzalez. Here's our conversation with him. All right, I'm with L.S.P. from San Antonio, and he just finished uh, on a panel at the Better Discourse Conference here in Milwaukee. And the topic was immigration. And I think you were ganged up on. You're the only one uh, who didn't really want to, like, close the borders and have have a lot of immigration control. Yeah, there was a gang of people who didn't share my values talking to me about my ideas. It was a little awkward. I noticed. I noticed. Can we – I think there was some nuance missing, and I just want to understand – because you made some points that – one point you said they they were were challenging you and saying, well – who shouldn't be allowed to come in? And I think you said, well, we don't want like a murderer to come in. Yeah. Right. That we was... can make reasonable limitations based on the threat people provide. Yes. So how would that work if would that wouldn't that wouldn't reasonable limitations require a border where, you know, there's no illegal. There would have to be zero illegal immigration. Sure. I mean, you can right? have a border and it's still be an open border. Right. You just present a passport as you come in. I don't see an issue with okay. having, you know, I, I, presumably everyone who crosses in the desert would just cross at an, at an authorized point if the borders were opened up. You'd just apply the same passport requirements so, to anyone else. OK, this is great because the nuance that I think was totally lost was when you say open border, I think people are imagining no border at all not a border where people do walk up to an immigration official and say, hi, I'm here. No. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the border as they understand, well, the border as they want it to be is an invisible line in the ground with men with guns who have to guard it. Right. Uh, the border as I conceive of it, the, I would work functionally the same way as every border crossing we already have. When you fly into the country, you stop with customs. As you enter the country, you stop with customs. That's not an issue. We've already got the logistical capability of handling this. We've already got the infrastructure for it. Right. I would just repurpose it. What would you do in the middle of the desert? Would you let people just cross or would you put up a wall? Uh, I think a wall is probably like a waste of money for the most part. Um, it's $74 billion according to the Senate. Um, but more than that, I think it – I mean potentially it could keep you in rather than keep them out. I don't think it's a really good alternative. That scares me. Um, yeah. If you want – so if people are coming in – you know, they're not coming in at an author at an authorized checkpoint. Ideally, you could just check their check who they are, right? Uh, and presuming you find nothing that you know, assuming they're in the middle of the desert, they're probably need help. But assuming you find nothing that would otherwise bar them from entry into the country, I don't see why you wouldn't just send them on their way, like you would anybody else who was traveling. So you would still have kind of a border patrol, but they would just like see people coming across the border and be like, "Hey, give me your papers." Yeah, the, the same basic functions of of I think police would exist now. Um, Although, yeah, understanding there's a unique sensitivity to the border issue. Ideally, you'd want to make it open borders, but I don't think we're, unless we're going to get rid of the nation state, I don't think this is going to happen anytime soon. Yeah, so I, look, need... I, I actually am ANCAP, which I shared yes. by before. So I don't want, want a nation state, actually, at the end yeah. of the day, but I'm willing to accept right now we have a nation state. I'm never going to win that argument. Let's talk about how to manage the nation state first. Let's transition it there, actually. Right. So if, if we have a nation state, it seems like we have to have some kind of border or else sure. it's not a nation state. Um, and so you are saying there would be kind of some kind of border patrol, but uh, they would just kind of stop people and verify they're not murderers yeah. or whatever coming. I think that's the pretty reasonable. If you're, and that's assuming you have any restriction on immigration at all, which isn't a position I don't know that I hold. But I mean, that's about what I would consider reasonable if you were going to put a man with a gun in front of people's right to travel. So what would you do for? So I like that sort of, but I'm just going to bring up a. Another that gives me heart palpitations. Yeah. How far into the country can the fucking Border Patrol stop me and ask for my papers? 
uh, I think it's only reasonable at like the border or within its immediate vicinity. I think once you get past that, then you're getting police state area and it's a little bit scary. Okay, so they can't come 400 miles yeah, in and no, say, hey, like, you look like you might have come across the that's border. A little, that's profiling. Of course not. No. Okay. <laughs> okay. I would hope it never gets that far. Okay. So, so let me ask you this. You also at the beginning of the panel – so I think we're, I think that, by the way – just that I wish was clarified on the panel because I think people were arguing. There was, so, there was no time to come clarify. <laughs> yeah, fair. I'm not saying you should have, but uh, there was no. There was yes. no. I, people were arguing something that point that ideas you weren't actually making. Difficult. It sounds like okay. Yes. So, so a second a second thing that you did, I think actually the very first thing you did was you mentioned enlightenment values. Yes. Can you um, just articulate more completely what you mean by that? So enlightenment values are a little bit difficult to quantify. If you because the, the the values that would be prescribed by Locke and the values that would be prescribed by Rawls or Rousseau might differ from anybody's interpretation, even though they, they might all – well, I don't know about Rawls. He's a little bit more modern. We might be considered enlightenment thinkers. Generally, though, they apply the same sort of – and the principles are vague. Free travel is a little bit vague. Free speech is a little bit vague, right? Free association or uh, freedom of religion. These are vague. But – Principally, I agree with what these values are, and I'm trying to figure out any sort of a rational, justifiable way that you could car you could consider free movement a liberal enlightenment value, which I would actually say is a common law value, and yes. how you can reconcile this with restrictions on it. How do you do this while still upholding the value? And I can't arrive at a conclusion that you can, other than these very select circumstances, like in much the same way, free speech limits, limits you from yelling fire in a crowded theater or threatening somebody. I think you could make these restrictions on immigration for you know personal public safety reasons, but beyond that, I can't find any reason that would would be justified. Well, if we're going to bring up this free speech thing, the the, the yelling of fire in a theater as an as an anarcho capitalist, uh, I usually use the term voluntarist. Uh, my immediate answer is, who owns the theater? Because they decide what you can say in the theater, and like yeah, that's fair. Uh, so uh, my I would have a similar answer to general movement which is like well who owns the land that you're stepping onto yeah because they no, decide whether you go on trespassing of course right so um but unfortunately we're not in that state we're not in that state of affairs anyway yeah. we do have public spaces and we do have a country that has yes. borders so you all right so when you say enlightenment values i know that they brought up some some examples of some uh we'll say extreme muslim regions in mm -hmm. the world where they throw gays off of buildings and they yeah. they uh view women as worthless or at yes. least less value than men um and i would assume that those aren't enlightenment values with i mean i wouldn't consider those okay. enlightenment values of course you can't throw a gay off the roof right okay so here's a here's a, a problem that i struggled with i think for for years and i'm just wondering your interpretation of it i want people to be able to move freely mm -hmm. and uh, I do like the marketplace of ideas concept. Like, I think it's 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 a good concept. Yeah. Um, however, I don't know how you if you have a pseudo democracy. We don't have an actual democracy, but we do have a we do have a political system that is affected by the will of the majority. Let's yes. say that's clear, right? Yes. I know it was a an outside weird question that someone asked, but I didn't ever hear a real answer. What if 400 million Chinese came into here all with orders to vote for communism? What happens? 
Well, in a democracy, then you'd get communism, right? If they if they are the prevailing majority, you'd get communism. So, are you worried about that? On a obviously, that's a crazy example. No, because I don't. I mean, I don't block people into collectives based on their national origins. People are individuals, and they have different ideas. That's I think true. one Chinese person is probably going to have a different idea about how the country ought to run than the next Chinese person. So, I wouldn't want to like make an exclusion based on national origin. If you really are worried about this, then you need to. I mean, a marketplace of ideas is something of a meme. But if you're in a democratic system, it's what you've got. Beat bad ideas with good ideas. So, okay, so let's 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 tweak the example a little bit and say instead of 400 million Chinese, which is obviously crazy and and actually brings race or ethnicity into it, in which way it doesn't need to be. Yeah. Let's say you have uh, an organization in the U.S. Let's say you got a billionaire in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, and let's say they say, look, we want people that have a certain political viewpoint in this country for whatever reason. Yes. Um, we're going to subsidize and we're going to get 100 million people that believe X, Y, and Z into this country. That would affect the voting demographic, yes? Yeah, conceivably, sure. And it could impact the maintenance of enlightenment values, yes? Sure, yeah, it could. So I guess my question is, if you want an area carved, most of the world, also another, most of the world doesn't share enlightenment values. Would you agree with that? Uh, I don't know what most of the world includes here. I don't population wise, like all of China, all of India, like most places don't have governments set up with even concepts of free speech. Even I mean, a variant these places of free do speech. have liberal parties. Well, not communist in China. Well, they have parties party state, with but I mean, like, the name liberal on them, yeah, but they don't have freedom of speech. They're very bad at well, their idea of what this means is different from our ideas. Here, right. So, yes. So let's say you want to have a spot in the world with a carved out border because we've admitted we need we're going to have a spot in the world with a border. We want a spot that maintains what we're talking about for enlightenment values. How do you do that and simultaneously not have any sort of values litmus test for people coming in? Yeah, so this is a little bit like Popper's paradox of intolerance. It's basically how do you espouse the idea of toleration for ideas that are intolerant and uh, hostile to that very idea? And on a democratic form, uh, the way you would do it, and this is where I disagree with them, what they essentially want to argue, uh, the Elijah Schaefer's of the world and the Sidney Watson's of the world, is that you can make an exclusion on the basis of these ideas to keep these people out, and somehow that preserves the toleration. But except you've just betrayed the idea of tolerance. Um, you know, you you've betrayed the idea you you propose to defend. The way you do it is not with state action and not with violence to shape this the way that you want it shaped. You do it in a marketplace of ideas. And I know that's such a meme answer. No, and no, I, no. I feel I, terrible giving it. I get it. I get it. Um, which now you're actually getting close to Andrew Breitbart, which probably won't make you happy. The culture is downstream from politics. Right. Is that what well, you're the saying? the culture of statism seems like it's going to be downstream from more statism. So, I mean, would I advocate for that? No. Okay. So, but are you arguing then that like the, it needs to be solved at a cultural level, not the political level? Um, yeah, probably. So how would you propose building a culture in the United States that, uh, in, in which, in a marketplace of ideas, it's uh, enlightenment ideas are are the ones that survive the vetting process the best. Um, that's really difficult. I think the way you foster these ideas is through rigorous debate. Beyond that, the only alternative is violence, and it's obviously not something you want to turn to unless you really want to carve out a state separate. Uh, right. But I mean, if you are already okay with that application of violence, why would it stop there? That would be my concern. Got it. Got it. So when you say uh, when you say people, you're betraying the idea of uh, tolerance by not letting people come in with through some yeah. having some litmus test. Let's say, um, 
let's talk about the definition of tolerance, because what does that really mean to you? Like, I wouldn't have to invite a communist or a, let's say a Nazi into my house. Like, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean I, I would say he can't go have his rally sure. and, and speak, but I don't have to let him in my house. That's kind of the house analogy. Do you think we're having some sort of collective house as a country and we should police? No, I think the in? idea of like making it a collective house is a poor way to construct it rather than it's more of a mall than a house, right? Something that's equal public access for everybody, even though we vary wildly in what we would find acceptable. Um, obviously, I wouldn't agree with a, a fascist or a Marxist. I mean, I don't agree with either of them anyway. Right. But I mean, if would I keep them from my house? Sure. Um, but I wouldn't advocate for the state to apply violence to them because I would be betraying that principle of tolerance that I already accept. That tolerance, what it means is um, live and let live. It's I take from the, the Voltaire quote, right? Mm-hmm. I disagree with what you say, but I defend to death your right to say it. Right. And this is going to be the resolution for all political disagreements. Nobody will ever agree with me 100%. I can't enact violence right. to make them do it. I'm just going to have to learn to agree to disagree. So let's go down the violence path because I, I, like, I, like, I like that, right? And so you're saying, just to be clear for people who don't, I don't, maybe not everyone understands what you're we're saying about yeah. violence. I mean, using Stopping an someone stance. coming across the border, like, I have a house, I'm a, I'm a, here's the border, I'm in the U.S., and I say, come on over, Michael. Yes. Someone is violently saying, no, you cannot come over. Yes. And, right. That's what the that's that violence you're violence. talking about. That is right? applied violence. Yes. Right. So, so I agree. That is, that is applied mm-hmm. violence. So, um, however, we're also kind of not in a free society in that – and I know this was brought up on the panel. In the past, this, there was no safety net. There was no huge infrastructure. People – there wasn't a, ta- a huge – I mean taxes were – income tax was not a thing. And to the extent that there were taxes, um, they were much more minimal. So we basically had a situation in which um, people coming in were really taking only their own risk economically. Like there was no violent – like I wasn't going to have to be taxed more. If they failed, they failed. And and actually early on in immigration, I think something like a third of immigrants turned around and left because they couldn't make it here. They didn't like yeah. it. Um, but we find ourselves in a state with a huge safety net and a welfare state and the gun's kind of already been brought into the room at that point. Don't we have to unravel that before we start doing what you're saying with borders? So if I could simplify your question, it is, should we abolish the welfare state before we open the borders? That would be a great simplification. Thank you. Okay. Um, I don't. <laughs> so this is the part where we're going to disagree. I don't think violence is value neutral. That I think there is some violence you can justify as necessary or good, uh, either for stability or for moral reasons. And I think both of these arguments can be made for the welfare state. That there are some people who, true, yeah, maximum freedom means the freedom to fail. Mm-hmm. And that's great. If you're a good entrepreneur, it's terrible if you are one of those who fail. In much the same way, a necessary consequence of the freedom of speech is the freedom for pornography mm-hmm. or the freedom to have guns means more gun violence. The freedom to pursue your economic interests in a free society, in a free market capitalist system, also necessarily includes the freedom to fail. And for a lot of people, that could be the difference between life and death. What ultimately happens, and I think this has historically been backed up, is when the poor get too poor and the rich get too rich, the poor eat the rich. So I would justify the welfare state. As for how you get, yeah, how you reconcile this open border immigration, I think the, you could just apply as exclusion bias. Because I don't want to abolish the nation state. I defend the nation state. I just don't defend it, all aspects of it. I don't think all violence it applies is justifiable or value equal. So – this is interesting because now we're getting at maybe the heart of a philosophical difference. It is. Where is the 
how do you justify the moral use of violence for the welfare state, but not the moral? Because I could easily make an argument that, well, what I'm talking about is using violence to prevent someone from coming in also for the, quote, greater good, right? Those are both, that's a greater good argument. It's, well, sure. it's for the greater good to, to do that. I, 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 would I, would, I would defend this empirically. Like, we know why open borders is good empirically, because we have data on what immigrants contribute to this country. They tend to grow the economy. They tend to commit fewer crimes. Mm -hmm. So we, we can demonstrate the goodness empirically of what immigrants constitute. In the same way, we can empirically demonstrate the poverty that's reduced from certain welfare programs. And obviously, a welfare program failed well, in that. I was going to say, I could look at the welfare and say, well, the, the poorest classes are worse off than they were since the introduction of the welfare state. Um, and, and wealth disparity has gotten worse. And I could look at the immigration policy and I could say, well... Uh, that might be true, but we actually, until a couple decades ago, we've actually had more strict immigration policies and, and a lot of the times the people and, – and movement was actually much more difficult. So mm -hmm. we were getting a different There's an exclusion class bias. of people. There was an exclusion bias, yeah, coming in. And so all that data is interesting and we could talk about it, but it's not QED argument over. No, it's not. These arguments will never be over. These arguments will never be resolved. Um, these are arguments you're going to have to deal with going forward. I'm only saying what my prescriptive solution is to these arguments, how I justify these arguments. Obviously, an anarcho-capitalist is going to disagree sure. about the welfare state. I'm not stupid. I know that. Right? We're going to have different agreements uh, about what that means and you know, whether this violence is justified from a philosophical perspective. I think it is. Right. Um, yeah, but I mean, that's the way we solve it is through rigorous debate and you know, in dem democratic system through votes. And so you're uh, just to be clear, your the justification of violence for you rests on. I don't want to say it rests on data because I think that's uh, misrepresenting that's a your. Reductive. That's misrepresenting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's a represents. It rests on what the great some greater good that's achieved is maybe justifies yes. the violence. Is that what you're saying? Basically, if you can achieve more good for more people by applying violence, then that's generally better. Okay, and more good for more people is like a, a large integration, like a summation, like yeah. add up I people, mean, add up good. Theoretically, so, if you if you were omniscient, you could add up the people and add up the good and say that this outweighs that. Yeah, so I mean, I'm an empiricist here. I think most, for the most part, when you look at immigration, it tends to do more good than bad. So I think you could justify it the same way. Where these values tend to be negative, and so far as the liberal context goes, as well. Look at what pornography does to people, right? Look what rights to privacy does to people who consume drugs, right? You can you can follow this logic everywhere, and this is where I have to reconcile this belief system with my liberal values. Right. Is it okay to betray these liberal values if there's a pragmatic gain for it? And sometimes, I don't know, sometimes the answer is no, sometimes the answer is yes. I think the pornography example is like a really great example because while I agree that pornography is a form of free speech, and even if it is destructive in some ways, there's justifiability and people's consumption of it. We still carve a line out for child pornography on right. the basis of the damage it does and can be empirically demonstrated. I think we also carve it out on the basis that children can't consent. Yes. More, well, there's more than basis, but yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And what would you, how would you describe yourself politically? Because I'm not actually even sure. Oh, liberal would probably be the best way to describe me. Like, a, are you what you would call like a social justice warrior, left liberal or a, a classical bit, liberal yeah. or what? I, so I, I guess social democrat would be a more apt uh, like a Bernie label. voter that got, like no more no. like a Biden voter like a Biden voter I know this will sorry I'm I, I'm not trying to like misrepresent I'm I just coming don't here know through I'd... some real politics but no um I, I guess you'd I, would a '90s liberal make sense to you if I use yeah that like word? a Clinton liberal yeah more like that okay cool well Michael thank you for your time I really appreciate yes, this conversation appreciate this. and uh, it was good yeah. to talk to you yeah good thank All you right. take care. 
Thanks for watching. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy, so go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms, at least for now, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. Our trip to the Better Discourse Conference in Milwaukee was made possible by the support of the following individuals, with a special thanks to Dr. Carlin Borisenko, who generously donated the Super Chat proceeds from her episode with Carrie. Warning, this is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the Cathedral. Pay no attention to it. For your protection, the following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and marked for cancellation. Please avoid any contact with these individuals. According to the FBI, these are all Russian bots. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Marxism will definitely work this time. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.